Hey, stop, man. The game is over. The police are on their way. Come on. Hey, stop that guy. He just robbed the bank. What? Oh, hey, hey, come back here. Hey, stop. stop. Hey, stop. Stop. We will get you. None of what you're about to hear is inspired by a true story. It is a true story. My name is Reed Domingo, and I robbed 12 banks in San Diego, California. I didn't hurt anyone. I never wanted to. I did it all for love and to pay for the devastating debts racked up from the costs of IVF needed for my wife and I to start a family. Let me tell you about how I reached such a point in my life the wonderful things that happened to me before, during, and after the robberies, and how I found redemption by helping others during my time in prison. So here then, in my own words and in my own voice, is my story. So right after I gave birth to her, uh, then my body, because I, I was in infertility for so long, they were controlling every aspect of all of my hormones for so long, I didn't have any normal. They just thought and assumed they'd never had anybody do as many protocols as much as me, and they just thought the pregnancy would recorrect my body. So then after the baby was born, I would just go back to normal because you're just going to reset, right? Yeah, cool, good stuff. So that's what the assumption was. So I gave birth to her about, gosh, within a couple of weeks, I'm having some crazy stuff happen. So basically, we don't know if it was caused by the IVIG, uh, them altering everything with a hormone. We don't know what it came from, but basically my whole body just went completely out of sync. It, I went to what they call like a Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid. And I went to like hyperthyroid where I was just racing. My heart was racing, like panic attacks, just feeling like I was going to die. Then to a complete opposite where it would crash and would go to hypothyroid where I was almost like feeling like I was going into a coma. Couldn't talk, couldn't move. Here I had this baby. And I'm like, you got to be joking. Got to be joking. Um and when they went to give me the spinal, uh, <laughs> they 
used a student and she almost paralyzed me. So I was gone anyways. They gave me way too much and I was just a floating brain. They numbed everything. I stopped breathing. It was just, the story just goes on. There's a whole story just in that. But anyways, that's the kind of stuff we went through. So for that whole year, half the time Reed and I were in emergency room parking lots they had no idea what was going on with me. It was this and that. They were trying, oh, it's your heart. It's this. You're just having this. Oh, you're having depression. Oh, you're having arthritis. Oh, you're having... And they wanted to treat me with all of these different things. So after a year and a half of traveling around to every single specialist that you could possibly go to, it went to like a fibromyalgia, allowing your body to kind of figure out what it needs to do again. Um, and the best thing is just to just let it settle in and try to get into more mindful work and meditation. And that was it. And it was horrible. But meanwhile, that's when everything else was going on, but I didn't know it because I was so sick, so sick. So I couldn't contribute. I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything other than just trying to maintain what I could, I got to the point where I couldn't even, it was really hard for me to even leave the house because I would just start having these, a panic attack thinking, because my body was so out of control, I could, I never knew when it was going to go, when the thyroid was going to crash and I was going to go into one of those states. Uh, so just to make sure, no one else really knew around me other than I wasn't doing well, but I didn't share it. It was just kind of between me and Reed, but we were just just so grateful with her you know so at that time it was all about her it was it was horrible and through that then I felt bad because I thought oh my gosh because with Reed he was so good I would just be like oh, I think I need to go to the emergency I know this is really bad and I remember laying there in bed for so long thinking I can't wake him up again I can't do it. well a lot of your hormones and all that stuff is resetting at night when you go to bed and I thought, I can't do this to him. He is such a good guy. You know, I just can't. And and no matter how many times I'd be like, babe, I need to go. You know, he'd be like, okay, here we go. I mean, he didn't ever make me feel bad or because a lot of times they were, you know, and then some of the doctors were like, well, this is just all in your mind. You know, I'm like, there's no way you can. I mean, this was like crazy stuff. I wouldn't be thinking about it. all of a sudden, boom, it would hit me. And they were trying to give me all kinds of meds and this ringing in my ear and everything. They were screwing me up even more. I'm like, no to everything. And I, um, I just thought, oh, I felt so bad for him. You know, everything, you know, was fine with the baby I was taking, but I was like, what the heck? You know, we finally get to this point and this is what's happening. But I felt awful for him because then that's when everything had to go to him. All, you know, the finances, everything, every single thing, which I was always the not the provider in a sense, but I always did everything. I was in charge of everything. I always managed everything. I made everything happen. That was just me. And it wasn't like, it was just a role. We always laughed because we would just naturally step into equal roles. We were equal partners, but different, you know? We would say, you are really good at this, you do that. I'm really good at this, I'll do that. And then we would bounce off of each other. So it was kind of like we made a good, you know, partnership. Um, and here I was out of it. I mean, I, I couldn't do anything. And I was thinking, oh my God, we need it and this and that and worry. And But I couldn't do it. I was just trying to 
um, maintain and with more stress or anything like that would make everything worse. Because then the fibromyalgia, it kind of comes about when you have a tragedy or you get in a bad car accident or you hurt your neck or something. And they just said it, it happens and it cycles and it would have to go through all of this stuff. So they just, a combination. And that's where I went in and I, I did a yoga retreat. I did a yoga retreat, was right down the road and I got certified. It was a, um, a style of yoga that was what they called restorative. It was super meditative. It was for people that had, you know, injuries or that were really sick or, you know, that type of stuff. And it was, it was just, it, it was amazing that it just opened up at that time. And one of my doctors said, you know what, my wife is kind of having the same thing as you. And she started doing meditative classes and it really helped her because there's not much we can do here, you know. The body just needs to allow time to get back to normal. And everything that's happened has gotten your body completely out of whack. It seemed I could never get a break from this pressure. All day, I just felt everything closing in on me. At night, I couldn't sleep. When I finally did drop off, amazingly, I would dream. But as soon as I woke up... I would just feel this heavy, weighted blanket placed upon me, and I knew I was trapped for another day. My wife was dealing with a terrible situation that I felt I was unable to help her with. We finally had our little girl, but I wasn't getting any comfort from that. How can I get myself out of this? I went into the bedroom, through the bathroom, and in the closet. And there, in the little box... I took out my Sig Sauer, my 45, put it in the waistband of my jeans, and went up to the grove. When you get to the top, you can feel the heat of the lights. I didn't realize that these thoughts were going through my mind, but I went into the main flowering chamber, and I slid the fiberglass bath that I use for rinsing all of my materials for every cycle, and I put it in the middle of the room. I can't do this anymore. I see no way out. I sat in the tub with my feet hanging over the end. I did this specifically because I knew once I'd blown my brains out and my body fell back, all of my blood would then be collected in the bathtub. What I didn't really know he wanted to keep that from me because of everything that I was dealing with health-wise and emotionally. Uh, but um, that's when it got really bad. And I didn't know how bad it was until, um, until everything happened. I didn't realize it was he kept all of that from me. I knew something wasn't quite right because I could feel it, but I was so sick. I mean, I couldn't even step up one step. One step, we had a, a landing that went up. It was two steps, two wood steps that went to our front door. I couldn't even step up one step without having to use a handrail. That's how weak I was. From fitness instructor, bodybuilder, very, very strong. I couldn't even, I was that weak. I was so weak. So, um, so at that time, no, I didn't, I didn't really know much, but I just, I felt now, I think some of the energy of stuff that was going on after, you know, we had, you know, my daughter, I think that energy 
uh, is what made me uh, sicker because I was picking up on that all that energy. I didn't know what was going on, but I just I think it was the whole thing that I, I was just really ill at that time. So I didn't know. So until after everything happened, that's when a huge wave not only everything which was so crazy at that time but all the financial stuff as well it was just overwhelming i didn't want to make a mess for anybody else i'd messed things up enough already i took the gun opened my mouth and slid the barrel in the taste of that cold steel is something I will never forget. And with the sound of those fans whirring in the background, I felt my thumb gently squeeze against the trigger. Just a little bit more, and this will all be over. I can't do it. I just can't do it. Surely this is not what is meant for me. I'm sorry, Patrice. I'm so sorry I wasn't the husband that I should have been. How can I not be there for my little girl? The whirring fans, everything going. Reed, you can't do this. You can't do this to your little girl. Not after everything you've been through. I took the gun out of my mouth and placed it on the floor, sat there, and just sobbed. Once I'd collected myself, I decided I have to go back in the house. I rolled out of that bathtub, put the 45 back in my jeans, went down the ladder, and came back into the house. Patrice was standing in the kitchen. She looked at me, I gazed at her briefly, then exited through the laundry room to get back towards our bedroom. Replaced the gun back in the closet and came back into the kitchen. Are you okay? My gorgeous, wonderful, darling wife was always going to be there for me. I'm okay, sweetheart, I said. Thirty minutes later, Toby came up the driveway. What's he doing here at the house? I, I, I wasn't expecting him. Call it intuition, but my wife knew something was not right. Patrice and Toby chatted for a minute, and then all of a sudden he was gone. It was then that Patrice explained to me that he was there to take away my guns. This was not going to be the day that I died. He was so naturally so good. So caring, so lovely. Like I said, wonderful to my kids. My kids loved him because it was like, yeah, Reed, you know, he'll play games with us. They'd play all the video games, and he was in there just right with them, and they loved him, but he didn't force them to be like, I am this or that or uncomfortable. He was just Reed, you know? And uh, it was just fun being around him. They thought he was funny, and they liked him, and never any pressure. So uh, it was great. So that environment was perfect. He's, he's still been incredible father. Uh, I don't think, I, I, I tease him all the time. I said, can we go back and be born uh, to us as parents?
It's amazing what you see on TV. I was watching a show, and during the commercials, I saw an advertisement from a local computer programming college that said they had a course where they condensed a whole year into six weeks. This accelerated course would allow you to graduate certified as a computer programmer. I never really had a problem with academia, and this computer programming was not that dissimilar to what I was doing for my father when I first was working for Bison. Maybe just an extension of that. I made some inquiries, and I was enrolled in the next session. This condensed course really suited me. I knew that in six weeks, I would be a certified computer programmer. Even though the pace of the work was quite fast, the content of it I found quite easy. I resonated with it. So much so that I knew I was going to do well. I already was sending my resume out two weeks before I was going to graduate. I got an email back from a local San Diego bank looking for a programmer to write internal software. I went for my interview. They seemed pretty happy with me, so much so that they asked me for a second interview a week later. That second interview, I aced it. That out of the way, when I graduated magna cum laude on a Friday, I was computer programmer on a Tuesday. So I'm now going to be working at the bank. Initially, I wasn't actually brought on board as a programmer. I was a program uploader. It's a slightly different position. I had a routine. My job was to take the programs that were written, upload them onto the system, and make them live. In addition, I had to take all of the transactions that occurred in the bank for that day and also load them onto the system, making them permanent. It's a very routine sort of job. You don't have to really use a lot of thought. You just have to start at the beginning and work your way to the end. The person that had that position before me was leaving, so she was charged with training the new person. We worked in a small room that contained all of the servers. These servers get hot, so it was constantly an air-conditioned environment. They told me, when you get here, please dress warmly because you're going to be sitting in a chilled room. My regular workday started in the early evening, about 4 o'clock, and I would work through till about 10 or 11, or whenever the programs were fully uploaded. As I said, there really wasn't a lot of critical thinking with this. It was a fairly mundane job. You take each program and you follow some parameters to upload it. Simple as. Now I was very much responsible to somebody else and there was a managerial hierarchy above me. I always took my job seriously, so I never was late and I would never take time off unnecessarily. Maybe I have to thank my father for that work ethic. I was grateful for the job. It brought in a regular income. It wasn't as much as I needed, but I could count on it. So back in 2002, Reed and I were still brothers. We just weren't having regular contact because I was raising kids, he was raising kids, and you know we had gone our separate ways, but anytime either one of us needed anything, we would be there for each other. We were always available to each other. A phone call away and never a harsh word between us. If anything, we talked a lot of smack back and forth trying to put each other down in a playful, brotherly way. So here we are, coming along, it's 2002. I've known Reed about 16 years or, or so. I probably hadn't heard from him in a month or two or whatever. 
you know, I mean, we weren't playing racquetball anymore. We weren't riding motorcycles anymore. All that stuff was part of our history. We're st I still love the man. He's still my brother, but we just weren't having regular contact. And then all of a sudden, 2002 comes along. I'm a cop, mind you, San Diego police. And I see on the news, I think they called him the motorcycle bandit. Bank robber had been arrested. What the frick? And his name is Reed Juan Domingo. Well, number one, there's only one Reed Juan Domingo. And that's my read. No, 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 no. That, that, they're clearly, they've got the wrong guy. This cannot be the case. Reed is a businessman. There's no freaking way that Reed could be the guy that gets arrested for bank robbery. It's just not possible. There's just no way. But sure enough, I think they had his picture on the television or somebody, somewhere I saw Reed Domingo he got arrested for bank robbery. What? No, 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 I didn't believe it. Like, there's no way Reed could be arrested for bank robbery. Now that I know the whole story, he couldn't have told his wife. He, he couldn't have told anybody. This is not something you can just say, hey, guess what I'm gonna do? So, or guess what I'm doing or whatever. And I think maybe at that time, had I known what he was dealing with and what he was going through and the choices that led him up to his behavior, had I known at that time, there might've been room for anger because I would have judged it at that time and said, well, why didn't you come to me? I could have helped you or something. Why, you know, why did you let it get to that point? I never was angry. I missed my buddy. I missed having him in my life and talking to him, even if it was only a couple times a year, two or three times a year, five times a year. I missed the kinship and the brotherhood, the fellowship. And, um, but no, I was never, I don't think I ever got angry about it. Again, had I known about what he was doing or went through at that time, in retrospect, I might have been angry that he didn't come to me and say, I need help. I'm in trouble. I'm hurting. But no, he. it was a survival tactic. Um, but no, I, I was never angry at him. Once I'd been fully trained, I carried out my mundane job for a couple of months. Then one Monday I was told, Reed, we found somebody to replace you. We'll give you two weeks to train them, then welcome on board the programming team. I was wearing a shirt, a tie, some really nice slacks. I had to get my hair done. 9.30 starts, fighting for a spot in the parking lot, because I was now part of the programming team. I've been given this promotion, a slight increase in salary, but still, it wasn't enough. Every month that shortfall was going onto my credit cards. I really needed to get some more money coming in. It was a real struggle. It was, it was struggled. Um, and uh, so that was, that, that, it was a real tough road, a real long road back. It wasn't easy because a lot of times we still didn't really know what was going on. We were still searching for what's happened. And all the doctors that we talked to, they're like, I don't know. You know, we really, we don't know what happens afterwards. I'm like, so I don't know now if they've changed it. They, if you have protocols like that, there's more support for you afterwards. They monitor you. But we felt we just got dumped, you know, like we did our job, but you could understand it, but it was like, what I don't know what happened and why why it did, if that's what happened, but no one could figure it out. So, Getting to grips with the programming really wasn't too difficult for me. 
Even from my school days, back at Monmouth, I was good at mathematics. And thanks to my dad, it was all about logic. Mathematics and logic? Yeah, you'd make a good programmer. My programs were fairly straightforward, and what was kind of funny was I got known for my programs. Why? Maybe because of my British upbringing, I knew about saying please and thank you. If I needed you to input something, I would always say please. And once you'd done that, I would say thank you. Everybody knew which programs Reed had written. As time went along, though, the job did become a bit mundane. The programs I wrote were really straightforward. How to open an investment account, how to start a savings account. They were programs that are obviously used internally by the bank employees. There I was sitting in my cubicle, Bob on my left and Dave on my right. Those were their names, but I actually called them Stinky and Blinky. Bob? Yeah. Think Bob was married. I think that kind of freaked me out. He had the dirtiest fingernails I had ever seen. His clothes were never ironed, and don't ask me why, but there were always stains on his trousers. Dave, on the other hand, clean, meticulous, but he had a tick. The guy could not stop blinking. The programming suite, about the size of a tennis court, was open plan, grey carpet, grey dividers, separating out everybody's little cubicle. Brightly lit. You almost needed sunglasses when you're sitting in there. But it was quiet. You could hear nothing except the clicking of keys and the humming of hard drives. It was a very sterile environment. Everybody was just there to work. Although work was sterile and mundane, it did get me out of the house. I think what was sad for me when I came home, I could see Patrice was still not well. We still weren't sure what was afflicting her, but I could tell that my wife wasn't happy. I needed to do something to try and rectify this. Every day when I came home, there were a stack of letters, unpaid bills. I could see the envelopes were turning colors from white to brown to red. I didn't even want to look at them anymore. I got to start thinking outside the box. What else can I do? I remember coming into the office, firing up my computer, and right there, I could see there was a little message for me. When I opened it up, it said at two o'clock this afternoon, please be available in the main conference room. Oh, what is this, I asked. Oh, it's bank training. We all have to go through it. How come? Well, even though we're not really what's considered customer-facing, we have to be familiar with all of the bank policies. So what were we covering today? What to do in the case of a bank robbery. staff were in there and a few bank tellers. Somebody came in from the training staff whom I'd never met before and told us, Good morning. All right. Let me explain to you what happens if you find yourself involved in a bank robbery. First and foremost, you, you must comply. comply. Okay? So long as you're not asked to harm another bank employee or a customer, you, you must, must do, do 
everything that is asked of you from a bank robbery. The whole point of this is to facilitate them leaving the bank as soon as possible. Do, do not, not argue, argue with them. them. Do, not do not confront, confront them. them. Listen, Listen and, and comply. Sh shouldn't we press one of those buttons under the desk? Somebody asked. No, absolutely not. If you do anything that could alert the bank robber that something is going on in the background, it could cause an escalation in the situation. That is the last thing that we want. Got it. Anything else? Yes. Make sure that they get whatever money they ask for and try to get them out of the bank as soon as possible. Somebody flippantly asked, What if I don't want to give them the money? Obviously, that was met with a round of laughter from everybody. But it did not go down well with the person doing the training. Let me explain this to you. Do not do anything to agitate or aggravate the situation. It's not your money. In essence, it's not even really the bank's money. We're federally insured. So what, just give them the money? Yeah, give them the money. But what if I think I could, I could handle this situation? It was at this point that we were told, Everybody pay attention! I have to make this absolutely clear to you! If you do anything that interferes with the execution of this bank robbery, you will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law by the bank. As I've already stated, the money is not yours and in essence, it doesn't even belong to the bank. But if you do anything that results in harm to another bank employee, let alone a customer, let me reiterate, the bank will prosecute you and you will go to prison. We were all handed the training notes that we had to put into our manual. Now I had that section that said what to do in the case of a bank robbery. I took my manual home, set it on my desk next to my computer, and that was that. I never expected to look at it again. My life as a police officer was wonderful and perfect and careful, pretty uneventful, regular police officer's life, doing what police officers do, the good ones. I was one of the good ones. There's a lot going on right now in our world relating to police and, um, but I was one of the good guys. And you know, I, I believe in treating people how I would want a police officer to treat my family. And that's how I operated. That's how my dad was. That's just what's in me. That's the way God made me. So it came easy. It came natural for me. I came from a background of you're going to do what the law says and you're going to do what mom and dad say or pay the price. So I lived under the fear of retaliation from my dad. And my mom was also the kind that wasn't wait till your father gets home. My mom would kick butt too. And then after she did it, I'm going to tell your dad also. So, you know, we were raised to be law abiding, to do what you're supposed to do, to pay your taxes, to go to work, to get a job, to go to college. That's just the way we were raised. So that's what I know. Yeah, I don't think I ever felt angry at Reed for the choices that he made at the time. And again, had I known about what he was doing or went through at that time, in retrospect, I might have been angry that he didn't come to me and say, I need help. I'm in trouble. I'm hurting. But no, he. it was a survival tactic. Um, 
But no, I, I was never angry at him. And I know that Reed loved me and Toby. And he wouldn't, and his wife, of course, would never want to burden us with the responsibility or knowledge of these bad choices. He knew that he knew what he was doing. He knew the risks he was taking and he knew that he had to be anonymous about it and that he could not share that with his police officer, best brother, um, or his wife, you know, who he's made a baby with. It's just not something you can share. So he chose to, um, bear that burden on his own shoulders, which is that also is sad. Um, because he didn't, he couldn't talk to anybody about it. He just had to take it. And then he finally got, you know, I now know that a year later, they came knocking on his door. And like, what? So, anyway. My focus was fully on the patrol car ahead. As I approached, I could see him starting to roll forward. I looked over at my sleeping angel and thought this would be our last moments together. As I passed the car, I tried to look nonchalant, but had one hand on the wheel and the other on my 45. If I thought my heart was pounding during the bank robberies, I now felt like I was on the verge of a major heart attack. Either way, my death in the next few moments was an almost certainty. I looked into the rearview mirror and saw the second unit fall in behind the first. Are they going to just follow me back to my house? Or are there other units further up ahead? I decided that offense would be the best form of defense and I should make my move first. About 30 yards ahead, I saw the local hardware store on my left. Should I pull off the road, leap out and charge at them? They probably wouldn't be expecting that. And I'd get away from the truck, putting distance between them and Chummy. I quickly indicated and pulled into the hardware store lot. I slammed on the brakes, and while holding the 45 in my right hand, I reached for the door handle with my left. Looking in my rearview mirror, as soon as they turn in behind me, I would jump out and hopefully have a half beat on them before I start cranking away. The surreal moment was amplified as my heart leapt into my throat to the backing track of dance music on the radio. I'm sorry, Patrice. I never meant this to be how it ended. With my hands sweating and my mind racing, I watched and waited for them to turn in behind me. 